0: It's just fun, isn't it? What a good way to start a message, right? Yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, and, and what a good way to just drive home that, that, that it's not a way we normally talk about being Christian. You know, it's a lot of, you know, we've got to be humble. We've got to be kind of, you know, stern. But, but we are called to stand out like the stars. And, and so I'm really excited uh, to be a part of this message series that we're going through uh, and excited to take you through it. I'm especially excited because I didn't have to preach last week. Dion Garrett had to preach last week because he had to handle this topic, that the first way that we stand out in the same way Jesus did is that we have to model the, the same unconditional acceptance that Jesus did. And this is a complicated, messy, and not fun topic. And, and Dion handled it so amazingly. If you have not seen it, you should go on back to our website and you should watch it. I am still chewing on it, wrestling with it, and, and seeing how this can really change my life today. A week later, I'm still thinking. So if you haven't seen it, Go see it. If you have seen it, right, do you remember? It's a hard thing. It, it takes courage. Uh, it takes, you know, if you start accepting people unconditionally, then they, like, start liking you more and they want to come over more and, like, eat your food. And it's it, it just, I don't need that uh, in my life, frankly. <laughs> but I get to do this week. This week, I get to talk about something a little much much better, much simpler, much easier. True-to-life approach, right? This is great, who doesn't want a true to life approach for their life in fact and i know that i'm on safe territory with you guys because we did a, a survey a worship survey 2 years ago where we actually asked you what was it that you valued or, or didn't like as much you know what were some strengths or areas for growth for us as a church. And the number one top thing across the board that everyone loves about our church is the excellent teaching that we have at, that, at our church. And I can actually brag about that because I wasn't one of the people doing the teaching two years ago when we did that survey. That was Steve Howard and that was Dion Garrett and they raised the bar so high for the quality of teaching. And so I know that you're gonna be, uh, that you're gonna be okay with this topic uh, that, that no one's going to be here arguing with me that we shouldn't have a true-to-life approach. And, and in fact, I mean, I can probably just say this and be done, right? I mean, we, can, we can go home half an hour early for once and get a head start on the lunch rush, right? But they do pay me to talk for 30 minutes, so I, I guess I probably need to, to say something. So, so let's maybe look at why we have a true-to-life approach. What is it that actually makes this thing happen at this church? And and maybe the first kind of sacred cow I'm going to throw under the bus is that I'm, I'm not convinced that the reason people think our teaching is so excellent is because of the biblical truth of our teaching. Although our teaching is biblically true... I don't think that is the reason why people think it is special or excellent in, in a different way. Uh, you know, Steve Hauer likes to say, he says, you know, Lutheran, all, most Lutheran preaching is true. It's just not helpful. Um, although actually, and I'm, my apologies, I, I forgot. He retired two weeks ago. I can't just talk about him like someone I pass in the halls anymore. Like he, he's now a, a respected historical source. Like if I'm going to do this, I got to do this right. So let's do this right. Steve Hauer once said, (laughs) got to quote him, most Lutheran preaching is true, it's just not helpful. And I just in the course of some of the jobs and the careers that I've had, I've actually gotten to spend a lot of time in a lot of Lutheran churches all across this country. And I agree with this statement. It is true. There is no Lutheran church and, and even I'll expand it. There are very few Christian churches that are not preaching biblical truth. I think they are, but there's something extra that they are missing that is keeping it from being as helpful and valuable as I think it should, in fact, be. And it's that thing that's missing that I think is what we have, and I think that is then what brings us to this true-to-life approach. And so I think the thing we're missing is that, or that that makes it better is this, that we aren't just biblically true, that we have a true-to-life approach. But again, who can complain about that? None of you are going to stand here and, and tell me this is a bad thing that we shouldn't be doing, so I'll do it for you. I'm complaining about this. I have a problem with this approach. Because I was raised in church. My whole life I've been in church, and I have learned, church is like vegetables, You know it's good for you, but you're not all that excited about it. And suddenly, uh, I, I had the experience of coming to a church where I kind of am excited about church. You know, some of you know this. I was here as a member before I was here as a pastor. And, and we looked forward to church every week. We lived 35 minutes away. And we would drive. We couldn't wait to get in to hear the, the music that would just usher us into the throne room of God to listen to this great teaching from Dion Garrett or Steve Hauer. And, and, and we loved coming to church. It was actually exciting. And it was like the first time my wife tricked me into eating zucchini brownies. Those exist. They're shockingly good. And you're like, there can't possibly be vegetables in this thing, but there are. And that's kind of how I I feel like this true to life approach, it it, it sits a little suspiciously with me. I'll I'll just, I'll be the first one to say it because it's like being told that this brownie is actually healthy for you. You know that something is wrong with this picture. And at best, that makes a church like ours and the way we try to live our faith differently, at best, that makes it a guilty pleasure. Right? All right, I shouldn't like it, but I do. And I'll, okay, but at worst, does it mean that we are watering down the truth of God? Right, if something's supposed to be good for you, which means that it's an inverse ratio to how good for you it is and how tasty it is, and, and this is so tasty. Does it mean that we are actually dishonoring, disrespecting, watering down the truth of God? And I face that question myself. When, when, I, when I watch uh, you know, one of the messages that I'm not preaching, and, and you know, it takes 20 minutes before we even crack the Bible, right? And I'm like, are we, are we spending time on the things that we shouldn't be spending time for? Are, are, we, are we saying that God's truth is not as important as it should be? Or, or, or another aspect of this, uh, you know, interestingly enough, the first message I was ever asked to preach here was for a series called It Is Well, which was talking about all the different facets of human life, uh, and that God wants all of those facets to be healthy. And so we were talking about like, you know, being physically fit and healthy with your body, and we were talking about finances. And, and there was a part of me that was really questioning, is this what the church is supposed to be doing? Do people really need to come to church to hear uh, you know, that they need to treat their body better? Isn't that what they have nutritionists and trainers for? Is that is that actually a pastor's job to talk about from this stage, or, or you know, the, or how to do their finances? Like that's what people have accountants for. I mean, not me, but like rich people, they have accountants for this kind of thing, right? They, they don't they don't need a pastor to, to talk about this. And, and there was a part of me that said, is this the equivalent of like if I came up here and I taught you how to change a flat tire? I mean, that's true, and that's helpful, certainly, but but isn't my job to come up here and talk about Jesus and then let you get back to life? It's not my job to teach you how to fix a tire, or is it? See, this isn't just a a St. John church problem. This isn't just something that I think pastors are, are plagued with. I think this matters for each and every one of you sitting here this morning, Right, Because I, I think you would all join me in agreeing that our country and, and the world are not going in a great direction, right? And, and I would even go so far as to say that the reason our country is not going in a good direction is because we have lost some of God's truth for our lives. But my question is, then what is the antidote And is the antidote that we need to double down on God's truth? That we need to slam it in people's faces and say, you have forgotten this truth and you need to know it. Or is there something different that needs to happen? And by my even phrasing it that way, that's probably bothering you. Because you're looking at this and saying, is this true-to-life approach in some way contradicting or diminishing the truth that people have gotten away from? And I don't think it is. But I wanna pay full honor to the question because I know that I struggle with this a lot. So let me, let me make it even more personal than just like the world or this, let's really drive it home. I'm gonna ask you a question and, I, and I want, I'm asking it sincerely. I want you to think about the answer. Picture a kid who, who punches his sister, right? And, and, and the parent comes over and the parent says, you shouldn't hit your sister. And the kid looks up at the parent and the kid says, well, why? how would you answer that kid? Why shouldn't he hit his sister? As I've wrestled with this scenario, I feel like the the possible answers kind of land in one of two camps, right? The the first camp is that the answer to why I shouldn't hit my sister is because I said so. (laughs) I'm the the parent. I told you not to hit your sister. Don't do it. The second camp, though, the second camp of of answers is something more along the lines of this. It would would be like saying, because I want you to have a good life, bud, and because I know that if you hit your sister today, you're teaching her that you don't have respect for her as a person, and so then she's going to learn that she doesn't need to have respect for you, and so the next time you do something she doesn't like, she's going to hit you back and you're not going to like it. Right, it's, explaining, it's taking the time to explain the reason behind the truth you shouldn't hit your sister. Now, I don't know which camp you fell in, but I'll just tell you, I fall in the first camp naturally. I think the answer should be because I said so. Because I'm afraid that if I have to explain the reasoning, I've actually subverted my own authority as the parent, right? Right? Like We're in this relationship and and he should just know that I'm the parent and what I say goes. And if I have to spend time on all this touchy-feely, get in touch with your feelings and respect and, and all this other stuff, I've actually said that it's like the truth doesn't matter, my authority doesn't matter. And yet, I suspect that the second approach is actually far more effective at actually getting my son to stop hitting his sister. Right? Maybe. So here's here's my bold hypothesis I want to share with you this morning. I think that truth, all truth, God's truth, absolute truth, objective, pure from on high truth, all truth is contextual. Let me say it again. All truth is contextual. And I'll even go so far as to say not only that, But without context, truth itself becomes untrue. Without context, truth itself becomes a lie. And so we owe it to people to give them context in order for our truth to actually be true. And I know that's bold, and I know that that might not be sitting well with you so so let's spend some time thinking about this and let me start by saying i think the bible backs me up on this all right so this is isaiah 55 this is god himself talking about his word his truth for us okay And this is the metaphor God uses. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. All right? This is the metaphor. It's kind of like this rains water and, and provide all this fruit and bounty. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire. It will achieve the purpose for which I sent my word. God's word does not come back to him empty. God's word accomplishes its purposes. And so if I stand here and I preach to you a message that is so boring and disconnected from your life, that you leave completely unfazed, unchanged, like, "Eh, I sat through it, I did my duty, and I left, And, and your life is no different, you saw no connection of God's word to your life, then I actually think I did not preach God's truth to you. And that's not God's truth's fault, that would be my fault. Because I didn't make it contextual, because I didn't make it true to your life. And so even though I might have gotten those words from the Bible itself, if I didn't connect them to you in your life in a way that was meaningful, then it was no longer God's truth. And I am no longer being faithful to the commission I've been given. And in the same way, as we ourselves look out at the people around us, the, our loved ones, and even some of the people we don't love all that much, and, and we think about how we we apply God's truth to them and their lives. And, and if we can stand and say, oh, I stood up for God's truth and I laid into them and I let them know God's truth. And, and you say, and, and now they don't speak to me anymore. And I look at this metaphor that God himself uses. And I say, well, then if you're not seeing fruit from the way you're applying God's truth to these people's lives, then my suspicion is that you're not actually doing God's truth anymore. See, if you lose the contextual approach. If you lose this true-to-life application, then we've actually lost the truth itself. And so we owe it to ourselves, to the people around us, to make sure that we build the context so that when we get to God's truth, hearts and eyes are opened and able to receive it in a way that will bud and flourish and bear fruit. And that is why I'm now 10 minutes into the message, and we're just now going to get to the passage. But now we're going to do it, because I think your hearts are open. I think that you're, you're ready for some budding and some flourishing, and this is why we do it this way. So here we go, a true-to-life approach, and we're going to be in Matthew 12. All right, and so Jesus and his disciples, this is when he's doing his ministry. He's walking the earth, and at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. This is important. He did this on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Okay? So let me give you some context. This is is God's truth, right? This is one of the core laws that God gave his people. It's one of the original 10 commandments, which says you don't, work on the Sabbath. It says you can't do these things. You got to rest. You got to dedicate the Sabbath to God alone, all right? And this isn't just like today where we're like, oh, you really shouldn't work on the weekends. You know, it's not good to overwork yourself. Like, this was actually a a, a civil law. Like, you could be punished for this law. And not only that, it was one of the first ones, okay? It was like one of the first 10 laws of the country. Uh, And so, like, it was a big deal. You can't mess with this law, all right? So now let's see Oh, and 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 before I get there, and then to say this as well, that that this this law actually had some historic precedent for them, and so I want to show you now what that is. So so this is when Jesus is walking around, but now I want to take you back in time a few hundred years uh, to when the law was first given, when God first said to them, hey, this whole Sabbath thing, you can't do work on the Sabbath, right? All right, so God's just given them this law to his people, and he says this, while the Israelites were in the wilderness, a man was found gathering wood, On the Sabbath day, right? Okay, this is a big deal. God just gave us this law on the Sabbath. He's gathering wood. Not only that, does this sound pretty similar to what Jesus' disciples did? Right? Okay, he was gathering wood on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering wood, they brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly. And they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. The law was so new, they didn't have a punishment for it yet. (laughs) It's like my kids, like they break laws and they're like, are we going to be grounded? And I was like, I didn't even give that to you yet. I didn't know you knew about grounding. Like they don't know what the punishment is. They know it's a law. They know you can't work on the Sabbath, but they don't even know the punishment. So let's go ask God, what's the punishment? (laughs) Here's the punishment. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must die. The whole assembly must stone him to death outside the camp. And so the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death as the Lord commanded Moses. Can you imagine if this was a consequence for working overtime? Aren't we glad we've kind of shifted on this law a little bit? But this is a big deal. I need you to put this in perspective. This is not some kind of theoretical religious debate that the Pharisees and Jesus are having. Oh, what what does the Bible really really mean? No, they've got stones in their hands. And they are waiting to see how Jesus answers this question. And if he answers it badly, they will beat him to death. God's truth is serious, guys, right? So let's see. Let's see how Jesus answered. What did he do? He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread. Consecrated bread, guys, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Only the priests can eat the consecrated bread. Or haven't you read? And again, I want to call this out. You notice he said it twice. Haven't you read? This is super insulting. Right, this would be like going to your doctor because you have some symptoms and being like, haven't you read what WebMD says about my symptoms? And your doctor's like, I'll show you some symptoms. You're like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure WebMD says it's lupus. And, and, you know, guys, I've watched a lot of House and Grey's Anatomy. It's never lupus. Okay. It's never that. But this is that kind of conversation. These are the Pharisees. They do nothing but read God's law. They do nothing but read God's truth. And Jesus is saying, haven't you read? Haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple, they desecrate the Sabbath, and yet they are innocent. And I'm personally very glad he called this out since I work every Sunday. I'm glad that priests have an exemption. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And again, if you had known what these words mean, he's saying if you'd had the context, guys, if you put God's truth in the context it was meant for, then you would understand, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. All right, so notice what, what he's doing. You know, he, he's, there's a couple things I want to say. One is, one of the concerns when we have a true-to-life approach at this church is that that in some way that means that we're diminishing the authority and the power and the importance of the Bible. But but that's not it at all. I mean, notice Jesus here. He he actually had to know the Bible better than the teachers of the law knew the Bible. And for those of us that want to have an effective true-to-life approach, it's not an excuse to ignore biblical teaching. It's in fact requiring us to go the extra mile to make sure that we've applied it to life. We can't just say in a vacuum, oh, the Bible says this. I don't really know what it means, but I know it says it, so it's got to be important. We've got to actually say it says it, and here's why it matters, which is what Jesus did. So he knew the Bible better. He gave them the context. He gave them two real-to-life examples, things that happen, that he says, look, don't, doesn't this help you with your understanding of the law? Spoiler alert, it doesn't, because here's what happens next. So going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, went to church, where you're just supposed to preach the truth, and there was a man with a shriveled hand looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. So again, this isn't just like 30 days in the slammer. They've still got the stones in their hands. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't you take hold of it and lift it out? of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You see, see what Jesus did. He tried to engage with them. He tried to have biblical debate. He tried to just kind of keep it in the realm of what's God's truth. But finally, when they kept arguing, he just said, guys, let's just make it real to life. You're not going to get these examples. Fine. Let's talk about your sheep. No responsible homeowner would leave a sheep in a pit. You guys know this. Let's not get distracted and caught up in, in, oh, what is the truth? Let's just look at a real-to-life situation and figure out what's going on. Or then when he saw a man with a withered hand, and oh, what should we do? And he's like, his hand is broken. I need to fix it. Is is that not the the point of this? And just just so you know how that story ends, he healed the man's hand cured him because he cared about the guy's life. He cares about your sheep or whatever it is that we have today. Jesus himself started with the life application. He brought this true-to-life approach to the biblical teaching. We're not doing something weird. We're actually trying to honor the way that God himself brought his truth to us. And in case that story's too long, Mark actually distilled this moment to Jesus gave us just one single punchline. He said this, then Jesus said to them, don't you get it? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay? The Sabbath law was made to meet the needs of people. People weren't made to fulfill the requirements of the law. The law was made to meet the needs of people not people to meet the requirements of the law. And it's easy to criticize the the Pharisees uh, for their enshrinement of this ancient law at the cost of the very lives that it was supposed to protect. Uh, And yet, aren't we doing the same thing right now in this country with Second Amendment laws? I'm sorry, I know, I went there. I'm sorry, please don't stone me. But I think we have to look at what the Pharisees did wrong right? You you see, they divorced the law from its context. They had separated it from the very lives that it was supposed to be benefiting. And that's why when they were confronted with God himself, the truth giver himself, they got God's truth wrong. And I think we have to be the first to question our own assumptions about God's truth and God's law ourselves, and so the first one is this, that, that we know that people are leaving the church, they're leaving the faith, and it's especially happening in the next generation. And I think so many people assume it's because the truth is too hard or too judgmental for them. And oh, they just don't have the stomach for it. You know, This next generation, they, they, don't, they, they can't stand the, you know, the, the tough things. And, and, and I don't actually think that's it. In fact, David Kinnaman, who's a a, a Christian researcher and and, and surveyor, uh, he's asked them why they're leaving. And it's not because the truth is too harsh or it's too too judgmental. They're leaving because it is so irrelevant to their life. They're going, I got sheep in pits. I got people bullying me online. I I got stuff going on. And and someone comes in and says, God loves you. Have a good day. That, That doesn't connect to my life. And so they're gone. Our assumption is that, is that we're doing too much truth preaching and it's scaring them off. And, and I'm challenging that and saying, no, actually, I think it's because we're not bringing that truth to their life in a way that honors God. And when we reduce it to this dichotomy, and again, I, I'm the first one who's guilty of this, when we're like, oh, we just gotta double down on God's law, you know, you know get away from this touchy-feely uh, You know, Jesus stuff, I have to question my own assumption. You know, a renowned pastor A historian, author, and leader once said, (laughs) he said this, the same God who gave us Jesus also gave us the law. The same God. It's not like Old Testament God hates everybody, New Testament God loves everybody. The same God who gave us Jesus also gave us the law. And, And this is the key. And he gave them for the same reason. For the same reason. Jesus who loves everybody. Law that makes you feel bad. It's the same reason that he gave it to us. And when we separate, like, oh, we got to double down on law. Too much Jesus. When we we act like those are different things. Or like one is watering down and one isn't. We're actually violating the the truth, the contextual truth of what God has for us. And and so that's this. that, That God disciplines us with his law because he loves us. God saves us. Because he loves us, it's the same context that undergirds both sides of that equation. So as I struggle with what does a true-to-life approach really mean, for me, it boils down to what is the actual context I need to make sure I have before I lay a truth on someone else? And so this is the context that I hold myself accountable to. God loves every person on this Earth as his own child. God loves every person on this earth as his own child. So much so that he was willing to sacrifice himself for each and every person on this earth. I, I, I want to go back to that question I asked you at the beginning about the kid who asked, why, what I, why should I do this? And, and I want to actually raise the stakes. All right, Now it's not just that the kid hit, hit their sister, it's that that kid is now standing and playing in the middle of the street and you can say you you know pull them out of the street and you can wag your finger and you can and you can and say i i told you because i said so you got to stay out of the street i told you you no playing in the street because i said so but if they don't have enough context to understand why you said so they're not necessarily going to take that any more seriously than than all the other rules we have And would a parent look at their kid in the street while a truck is barreling toward them and be like, I told them not to play in the street. Now we'll see what happens. I shouldn't have had to give them context. They should have just known that when I said something, I meant it because it was serious. Or or in that moment, would we say, I wish I had taken the time to make sure that my kid understood why he couldn't play in the street because I love him and I don't want him to die. And it explains why we look at Sabbath laws or things like that in the Bible. And, and maybe it seems like God is being inconsistent, but He's being no more inconsistent than a parent who sees a kid in the street and pulls them out and punishes them and disciplines them so that they learn for next time. Or the same parent that sees a kid in the street and the truck's barreling toward them and the parent, instead of lecturing them, dives in the street and knocks their child out of the way and dies to save their kid's life. The parent didn't change. The truth didn't change. The situation changed. And that's why that parent acted differently. And so if I have this context, that God loves every person on the earth as his own child, then this has to inform every truth I ever dare to speak in anyone's life. I've got to be true to life or it is no longer true. And so this is the truth. God loves them as his own child. And therefore, if I don't love you as God's child, I no longer have any truth to say to you. Right? There are people, and, and, and they make me angry and they make me upset. And, and we live in a time of, of division and contention. And, 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 I am, and I'm so mad at people, and I know that I'm right. I know that I've spent more time in God's word than they have. I know I've got the truth. But I also know that I'm just mad at them. I'm disappointed in them. I'm disgusted in them. And I could quote a Bible verse at them word for word, and it would no longer be God's truth because I myself have lost the context. True to life means that we care about their life. When I tell someone that divorce is wrong, it's not because it's God's truth. It's because I care about their marriage. I care about them. I want them to be the fulfilled, successful people that God designed them to be. And, and so if I'm just gonna stand back and lecture, because at the end of the day, I don't really care what you do. Don't get divorced, God says. Or, or, or is it because I care about you so much? I love you so much that I want your marriage to be the fulfillment of what God intended for you. And if I can't say that, then I don't speak truth. And I'll be honest with you guys, there's a lot of truth I am not speaking these days. Because true to life means that I have to care. Jesus himself cared. He cared about their sheep. He cared about their hand. He cares about your job. He cares about your relationships. He cares about every choice you make because he cares about your life. And we owe it to our loving father to pay that forward. We owe it that if we want to be truth speakers, then that first means that we have to be love and care speakers that we have to love and value someone else's life more than our own so that we can then speak truth to it. And that is what a true-to-life approach has come to mean to me. Amen. And now to help you with some of the context, I invite you to join me in this next song uh, as we drill home this contextual truth that God is your Father who loves you.